Good morning, New Life Church. Excuse me, how are you guys doing today? Man, you guys look good. 11.15, y'all look good today. Look over at your neighbor and say, I think you actually lost weight this Christmas season. Like, you defied the odds. I don't know how you did it. But it happened. It's crazy. I told first service, I don't care if I see another Christmas cookie, piece of Christmas candy. Like, next year, probably about November, I may start hungering for it again. But I, I'm sugared out, y'all. I've had, I've had my fill and uh, this, this season, man, it just seems like it's, it's a crazy time of year. We got so many things, so many parties and get-togethers and family meals and all this stuff. And it's a great time of year, but uh, I, I'm glad when it's over. They, they, uh, the question, you know, Pastor Cody said, you may wonder, well, why do we fast? It's because after December, we're all fat. And uh, so <laughs> January is 21 days of prayer and fasting to just kind of reset. And we say, change me, Lord, both spiritually and physically, like Help me change, God. Like, like, let me lose some weight and try to fit back into the clothes that I wore pre-December. And uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a, a good time of year. And here you are on December 30th, and you came to church. And, man, it's just so good to see you in the house of God. Kind of closing out this year strong and believing that God's got some great things for us in 2019. And I know that seems like a cliche thing that we say every year. But I truly am entering this next year with a level of expectation that I don't know that I've had before. I'm just believing that God is going to do something significant in, in my life and also in our church. I believe there's some stuff that's, that's shifting and God is doing some things in this house that I think are going to lead to some significant moves of God in the coming year. And so you're here today and we're just going to declare that together. That next year is just going to be awesome. God's going to do some great stuff. And, of course, Pastor Allen has, has spoken to us and let us know that he believes that 2019 for New Life Church is the year of discipleship. And I believe that that is something that is absolutely essential that, that the capital C church has kind of dropped the ball on in the last couple of generations. We've had a lot of converts, but not a lot of disciples. We've had a lot of people that have come and said, yeah, I want Jesus in my life, but we haven't taught them how that affects their life. And so we're, this discipleship process, this discipleship program that we're launching in February is going to be awesome. And to lead into it, Pastor Allen is preaching a series on discipleship called Prove It. And that starts next Sunday morning. And can I just tell you, you're going to want to be here for this series because Pastor Allen has shared some of this with us as a staff of what his vision is for discipleship and drawn out of God's word. And I'm just telling you, it's some awesome stuff that you're going to want to be a part of. And I'm just believing that, that this discipleship program it's going to be a way that a lot of us are not only going to grow in Christ, but we're going to find our purpose in Christ. Because God didn't save you to come to church. He saved you to change the world. He saved you to reach the lost. And the way you discover your purpose is through discipleship. And so that's coming up next week. I encourage you to be a part of that. And it's, it's my privilege to preach to you today. If you don't know me, my name is Tyler, and I am the student and young adult pastor here at New Life Church, and it is my privilege every single Wednesday. I, I, see, I didn't stop to give you all a chance to clap for me because I get to, every Wednesday, I get to, uh, I get to take care of our student ministry and preach to our students and pour into them, and God's doing some awesome stuff in their life, but in the coming year, it's going to be my privilege to also be a part of launching a young adult ministry here at New Life Church, and so if you're between the ages of 18 and really old, like we don't, it doesn't really have to be a cap, you just still feel young. Like, uh, you, get, you need to get plugged in with me. Let me know that you're involved in that. We're going to have some interest meetings and stuff like that that's going to be announced in the next couple of weeks. And we're just believing that God is going to do something significant 
in that age group as well. But it's my privilege today to preach to you. And I think that one of the strengths that we have as communicators, especially gospel communicators, that has kind of come to the forefront in the last probably five to ten years is that we've realized that one of our greatest tools is being real and being authentic. Because you don't want to come in here and, and see me at 28 years old get up here and give you a bunch of religious cliches and say, just go live right and be good and everything. Like That's not why you're here. We're here to have our lives affected by God. And I fully believe that the only way that I can really tell you how God can affect your life is by telling you authentically how he's affected mine and what he's done for me. And so I believe, and I am, I am sometimes probably to a fault, I believe in being vulnerable when I preach. And so today I'm, I'm going to talk to you about some stuff that I think God wants to speak to us, that he's speaking to me in my life. And I just believe that he is going to encourage us as we head into this new year. So we're going to the book of John today, chapter number 14. And before I read verse number 26, I just want to say a word of prayer with you over these next few moments that God's spirit would just move in and settle onto us and help us to receive from his word. Can we bow our heads? God, I thank you for your presence that we felt in worship today. God, I thank you that you have no rival, you have no equal, that you are the victorious king, that the name of Jesus is powerful. And God, that every single sin, every demon has to flee and bow at the power that's possessed in that name. God, we're up here proclaiming that name this morning and believing that you're going to speak to hearts. God, I pray you would take everything I say for the next few moments and make it all about you. Grace us with your spirit. We'll give you glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 14, verse number 26. The Bible says, The friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send at my request, this is Jesus, he's saying, I'm going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit He will make everything plain to you. And this phrase right here is what I want to talk to you about for the next few minutes. He will remind you of all the things I have told you. He'll remind you of all the things I've told you. Christmas, obviously, as I've already mentioned, we eat a lot at Christmas. It's a great time. But how many of y'all got together with some family that you don't see at any other time besides Christmas over the last week? You were able to see some cousins, in-laws, uncles, aunts. Some of y'all, how many of y'all are thankful that you only see them once a year? No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Christmas is a time when we, we get together with family, and, and it's inevitable when you get with those ones that you don't get to be with all the time that you start reminiscing and talking, talking about the old days and what it was like when you were kids and all this stuff. And I'm the baby of my family, and so usually those stories and memories happen at my expense because we talk about how you know, how much of a brat I was. I'll just go ahead and say it. How I was a terrible little child and I cried all the time and mom gave me everything I wanted and my brother says that it wasn't fair. And that's pretty much the gist of our Christmas conversation. And uh, so, but as we were meeting with family and hanging out with my mom and dad and my brother, I got to go back to Kentucky to my mom and dad's house. And so I was driving the streets this week of Central City, Kentucky, which I'm sure you've all been there. Uh, it's, it's a booming metropolitan area that everyone needs to visit at least once town of about 6,000 people, and uh, not a lot of industry happening there. My dad started pastoring a church there when I was 13, and so we moved there, and as I was driving the streets this week, it was just kind of memories would, would flood me at, at random places. I was driving down one road, and I remembered one night, me and my friends were just hanging out, and we're like, hey, let's hop in the, in the trunk of our friend's car and drive down this highway. Just, you know, just fun, just because there's nothing else to do in Central City, Kentucky. 
We would go to Walmart and put a $20 bill on fishing string and watch people try to pick it up and pull it because there's nothing else to do in Central City. So that just gives you a little bit of an idea of what my, my life was like as a teenager. And as I was driving down the street, I looked up and I saw this one place that I hadn't thought about in a while. It's this restaurant called Papa Manzo's. And when we moved to Central City, there's obviously not a ton of, you know, high-class cuisine within the city limits of 6,000 people. Basically, you have McDonald's, Wendy's, a Mexican restaurant, and that's about it. But there was this place on the hill called Papa Manzo's. And we had heard through the grapevine and from some different people that we had known that had been in the area, they said Papa Manzo's has the best Italian beef sandwich you'll ever have in your life. They said they got some good pizza, they got other stuff that's good, but their Italian beef sandwich is amazing. So one night after we had moved and we were settled in, we got to getting ready for dinner, and we're like, you know what? We're hungry. We don't feel like McDonald's. We don't feel like Wendy's. We've already eaten in the Mexican restaurant five times this week. So let's go try something different. We decided to give Papa Manzo's a shot. And so we pull up, and again, we're thinking this place has, you know, top world-class Italian beef sandwich. It's going to be amazing. When we pull up to the restaurant, it does not look anything like you would imagine a great restaurant to look like. Their parking lot is literally just like a hill. Like, you just park on a hill. And so we're like, okay, well, that, you know, whatever. But outside the building is chipping paint and looks kind of like maybe some mold on one of the corners and, like, shingles falling off the roof. And we're like, well, maybe just it, it just doesn't present well on the outside. Maybe when you go inside, it's, like, really nice, right? So we open the door, and, and, and it wasn't any better, like, it was exactly in keeping with the theme of the restaurant. It looked terrible. Like you walk in and you almost hit your head because right inside the door, the roof was at a weird angle. So there's like a thing right here and, and you see the tables and they're old and dated and the menus are laminated and they have pretty much everything on the menu, literally on the menu. And so we, we, we go in and we're like, I don't know if this is somewhere we want to be eating today. But we decide, you know what, they told us that it's good. And, and it can't be any worse than McDonald's, so let's just, let's do it. So we sat down, we ordered the Italian beef. They brought it out about 15 minutes later. And I took a bite into that sandwich. And I'm here to testify that the reports are true. That sandwich is unbelievable. It is the most tin, tender, juicy Italian beef. The cheese is melted perfectly. They got some sautéed onions and mushrooms in this 11:15 service. So I'm crazy hungry right now. That's why I'm so descriptive. And the crazy thing is this, though. Like, as good as that sandwich was, it's something that I crave every now and again to go back and get one. I would have never experienced that Italian beef sandwich if I would have let the way the restaurant looked drive me away from it. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why is this guy up here preaching about a sandwich? Because I think that a truth that we unlocked that day is that we were willing to put more value and more stock in what we heard than what we had seen. And the key to this message today that I want us to keep in mind as we dive into it is this. God calls us to be more focused on what's been said than on what's been seen. God calls us to put more stock in what he said about our life Instead of what we see in our life. And, you know, this, this Sunday, this time of year, these last couple of days of the year, they're some of my favorite days of the whole year because we kind of take inventory of what's happened over the last 12 months. You know, a lot of us entered into 2018. We had some New Year's resolutions. All of us do every year. And last year, I was like, you know what? My goal is I'm going to lose 15 pounds. The good news is I only have about 25 to go. 
And so, like, I'm going to meet that resolution, I think. And, and we have all these plans. We're going to spend more wisely. We're going to, you know, make more friends. We're going to be more involved in our kids' lives. Like, we have all these plans. And so in December, on these last couple of days, we can look back over the year and say, all right, we did all right here. We did okay here. But I'm going to be honest with you. Tomorrow night at midnight, when we shift from December 31st, 2018 to January 1st, 2019, I am not at all going to be sad that 2018 comes to a close. I'm not at all going to be like, man, I just wish we could go back to 2018. Because if I'm real honest with you, 2018 has been the worst year that my family's ever walked through. And I'm really thankful for the fact that God has brought it. Because a lot of the issues that we had were B.C. before Canton. And so, like, I'm glad that, that we're here. And I'm glad that God brought us into this season. But before we got here, this has been a tough year. And... I think the context for all of that is kind of what I was expecting going into 2018. Because January kind of set me up to make me think that 2018 was going to be like the year. You know, the year we always dream of where everything works and everything comes into place and perfect stuff happens. And, and it's like we just find our utopian like living. We just we find it. In January, uh, we had been kind of between ministry seasons. We had left pastoring in Arkansas in August. And we were praying for God to open the door for us to go to somewhere and, and do what God was calling us to do. We felt like he was leading us somewhere in ministry but didn't know where that was. And a church contacted me from close to where I'd grown up, across the river from the city that I'd grown up in before my dad started pastoring. And they said, hey, we need a young guy to come and basically kind of relaunch our church. Like, we, we've, we have a building, we got all this stuff, and, and we're going to take care of you, but like we just, we need, we're, we're dwindling, and we need someone to come in and revitalize us, and so I kind of told him our ministry philosophy and our vision and the way that we were going to, you know, that we thought ministry needed to happen, and they're like, yeah, 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 that's great, that's awesome, come, you're the guy, and we're like, sweet, God's led us to, to the perfect place, he's opened this door, and it's going to be great, and we had gotten enough money together that in that town, we were going to be able to buy our first home, and so we purchased a starter home, and we got to paint the walls whatever color we wanted without asking the landlord. And that was a big deal for us because we never got that opportunity. So it's like, man, we got a new ministry position. We, get, we got a, a new house. And then on top of all that in January, my wife found out that she was expecting our third child. And so it's like, sweet, this is great. We have two boys. Maybe this one's going to be a girl. And, and everything's going good. And, and we just had so much expectation. And then in the midst of all of that, in my quiet time, I felt God bring this verse back to my mind in Scripture when it says that He's going to give us the desires of our heart. And so I was like, man, that is my word for this year. Like everything is working out. Everything's coming together. We're going to have a new house, a new ministry position, a new baby. And now God's saying He's going to give me the desires of my heart. So I'm just going to grab hold of that and cling to it. And man, I was so excited. But again, that was January. And now in December, I look back over the preceding 10 months and I see that that ministry position that I thought was going to be like the one actually was one of the hardest seasons of our life because we got more bruises and more scars in ministry in that season than we ever had. And the house that we were so excited to get is now actually a financial burden as we're trying to sell it and trying to figure out how we're going to navigate all that, and God's providing for us, and I give Him glory for that. And The hope of, of adding to our family has seen us walk through the tragedy of experiencing two miscarriages within this year. And what I heard was desire. 
Like what I heard was all this is going to happen, and it's going to be good, and it's going to be awesome. But what I see is so different than that. You see, I expected desire, and I heard desire, but what I saw was disappointment. And what I saw was devastation, and what I saw was walking through very real battles and seasons with depression. And I don't tell you that to garner sympathy. I don't tell you that to make you be like, oh, well, bless his heart. I tell you that because I want you to know that you're not the only one that's going through a struggle. And don't let the enemy try to tell you that you're different or that you're weird or that that there's, there's something wrong with you because you've had a hard year. Because the fact of the matter is we're all going through seasons and struggles. Every person that I've talked to in this last year has had some kind of struggle they've faced. And, and I, you know, I'm just, I'm just weird enough to believe what Scripture says, that it says that the enemy knows that his time is short. And so he's fighting. And he's attacking. But it doesn't change the fact that it's hard to remember what God said when we see something that is so different. And I think the, the crazy thing to me is that in January when we had all these prospects and all this potential and all this hope, like, all I could think of was that word, desire. Desires in my heart, desires in my heart. But when I walked into the season of turmoil and we started getting into the battles of the struggle and the scars and the pain and all that, it wasn't on my mind anymore. In fact, it wasn't until just a couple weeks ago as I was preparing for this sermon that God reminded me what he told me in January. Because we're a lot more focused on what we see than what we've heard. Neurophysicists say that 60, or I'm sorry, 30 to 40 percent of our cerebral cortex is dedicated to identifying and translating what we take in with our eyes, whereas only 3 percent is dedicated to what we take in with our ears. So we're naturally more focused, more driven. There's more weight given to what we see than what we hear. And Jesus understood that this was going to be an aspect to his creation. That's why whenever he's getting ready to go into his final season of ministry, the season where he's crucified, he starts out in John chapter 13 and proceeds through John chapter 17, giving his disciples the blueprint for how they're going to survive without him. Because he knew that they were about to see some stuff that was going to make it really hard for them to continue. And so... He starts telling them that I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send someone else to come and be a part of your life. And the works that I'm doing now, you're going to do greater ones and all this stuff. And you've got to understand, as Jesus is telling them that I'm going away and, and I, I, I got to move on and all this stuff, it was hard for the disciples to hear because they were kind of living in an awesome season. Like that moment of their life was amazing. They went from being guys that nobody knew about. They went from being guys that were working in subpar professions, guys that some of them were borderline criminal and like didn't have anything significant going on in their life, to being the ones that got to walk day in and day out with the Son of God, to being the ones that got to go from being nobody knowing who they are to now when their caravan enters into a region, thousands upon thousands of people come out. All the sick people come into the streets and they're healed and all the demon-possessed come to Jesus and they're set free. And on top of all that, Jesus was like, you know what? I'm going to give you guys authority over demons and over sicknesses. Like their life got significantly better throughout the three years of Jesus' public ministry. But Jesus knew that it was all about to change. And so he said, you guys know all these works that I've been doing, all these miracles you've been seeing. You're going to do greater works than these. And I can, just, I can just see them like salivating at that, like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Like, I'm all about that. But what they didn't understand is that in order to get to the fulfillment of that promise, 
they had to see him hanging on a tree. And, and they had to experience the loss of him being dead for three days. What they didn't understand is that when he said that I'm going to give you power to become witnesses, that before they could get to that promise, they had to watch him ascend into the sky, and then all of a sudden they couldn't see him anymore, and they had to go tarry in Jerusalem for ten days without even knowing what they're waiting on until all of a sudden at the day of Pentecost, the power of the Holy Spirit fell on them. There was an issue after the promise that they had to walk through. Because here's what I've found, and it's, it's proven time and time throughout Scripture, and it's, proven in, it's been proven in my life. A major promise is often followed by a major problem. Usually when God speaks something to you, that means the enemy is about to come at you. Because, see, here's the thing. I, I think it's so amazing to me how all of us, myself included, we are so... We're so humble when it comes to what we can do for the kingdom of God. And the enemy has more faith in our potential than we do. That's why he attacks us so hard. Because he knows if you ever fulfilled your purpose, if you ever found out who God had called you to be, there is no telling what would happen for the kingdom if every single one of us in this room could find our identity in Christ and find our purpose in Christ. I believe that drug addiction could be a thing of the past in our community. I believe that alcoholism could be defeated in our community. But see, the enemy sees that potential as well. And so when we receive a promise that God has called us and God saved us and God's anointed us, he launches attacks against us. And he tries to get our focus off of what God has done. And what I think is crazy is, you know, like I said, when God's given us these promises... We're in a season of receiving a promise from God. We're so spiritual, aren't we? I mean, we just worship. Like, yes, God has given me favor. I receive it. God's going to give me a yacht and, and, and all this. Like, yes, amen, praise God. We receive, we're spiritual when we're receiving promises. But sometimes that spirituality fades when we start seeing something that looks different than the promise did. That happened to Peter. Jesus is getting ready to go into his, his discourse. He says, now listen, guys, where I'm going, you can't go because you're, you're not ready to go there yet. And Peter, he's in promise receiving mode. And Peter felt pretty good about his spirituality. He felt like he was pretty close to God. And so in John chapter 13, verse 37, Peter said, but why can't I come now, Lord? I mean, I'm ready to die for you. You hear how, how proud Peter is of his spirituality? Like, I don't know about John, and I mean, we certainly know Judas ain't there yet, but I am ready to die for you. Like, I can come now. And Jesus said, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny me three times. You'll deny you even know me. Because Jesus understood what was about to happen. Peter was standing there in that moment receiving promises, full of faith, and said, I'll die for you. But what he didn't know was that right after Jesus got done speaking what he was speaking, they were going to go to Gethsemane. Jesus was going to have a prayer meeting. All of a sudden, Judas was going to show up. He was going to kiss Jesus on the cheek. Soldiers were going to come. Peter was going to draw his sword, cut a dude's ear off. Jesus was going to say, we're not about that life. Put it back on. Pray for the guy. He's healed. He's arrested. He's taken to a trial. And in the middle of the court, 
Peter sees all these guys that are supposed to be righteous and religious making false accusations against Jesus. He sees a crowd that just a week before had said, Hosanna in the highest to Jesus. Now they're saying, crucify him and give us Barabbas, the rebellion and, and, and the robber and the thief. Let's get him instead. And it's crazy because he's so full of faith until he sees all this stuff. Then all of a sudden, a little girl comes up to him and says, um, excuse me, sir. Were you with Jesus? He said, I don't, know, I don't know what you're talking about. What happened to Mr. I'm ready to die for you? He saw some stuff. Then another group comes and says, I, I, who are you? were you with Jesus? Were you the one that was walking with him and healing people? And he said, no, I don't, I don't know him. Finally, they come to him and they say, we are positive. That you were with Jesus. Like, I'm pretty sure he tagged you in an Instagram post just last week. You're the guy. Peter says, nope. In fact, this time he starts cussing him out. He says, I'm not, I'm not that guy. You got the wrong guy. And immediately the Bible says, the rooster crowed. And I want you to look at this verse in Matthew chapter 26, verse 75. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus. Why is that verse significant? Because the fact that Matthew wrote to us that Peter remembered in this moment implies to us that up to this moment he had forgotten. Because when you see something contrary to the promise, it has a tendency to make you forget everything that God has told you. Peter, that was so full of faith, let the terrible nature of everything he had seen that night rob his memory of what Jesus had spoken to him in the secret place. And I wonder if maybe you're in that same type of season that like man January or even if it was sometime in the year God spoke some stuff to you and yes Lord I receive it I believe you're going to do it maybe it was God spoke to you your marriage is going to be restored but here we are in December and it's it's more broke than it ever has been God spoke to you your kids were going to come back to Jesus but man they're so strung out on drugs and they're doing stuff you didn't even know was going on and you just found out about it and you're worried or maybe he said your finances were going to get in order but now you look at it and your debt's piled up and your income has gone down and you don't know what's going to happen and you had this promise but you see all this stuff that's contrary to what you had heard it's really hard it's really hard to maintain our faith in that season because, like I said, we are naturally driven by our sight. But just because something is natural doesn't mean it's right. I mean, that'll preach in a whole lot of different ways. Because the Bible says that after Adam sinned, that we all had this thing called a sin nature. That means that sin comes natural. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So what's natural is actually usually detrimental. And when we're naturally drawn to being driven by our sight and we naturally are drawn to putting more focus on what we see than what we've heard, we're drawn to doing things that are actually going to defeat our purpose. And Jesus understood that this was going to be an issue for us. He knew, he knew all of our propensities and all of our tendencies. And he knew that in and of our natural means, we would never be able to remember what he had said in spite of what we see. And so that's why in John chapter 14, he said, I'm going to send another counselor. I'm going to send a helper. And when the Holy Spirit comes to you, I had never seen this until I was studying for this message. In fact, as I started writing my notes for this, I got to thinking and studying and God started revealing to me that basically the gist of everything I'm going to say today is 
don't focus on what you see. Remember what God said. And I was like, okay, God, that's great. But that's really easy. That's simple. Like, I only get to preach every so often, so I need, like, the mind-blowing revelation of God's word to deliver to the people when I get the opportunity to preach. And you're telling me, just remember what I said. I was like, that's, that's pretty simple, God. And, and I don't know about you, but when I say stupid stuff to God, he, he likes to say stuff that makes me realize how stupid it is. <laughs> and so I said that, and, and I'm telling you almost immediately of having that thought, I felt the Spirit of God speak to me and say, if it's so simple, then why are you having such a hard time doing it? If it's so simple to just remember what he said in spite of what you see, then why have you walked through such a season of doubt? Because it's not possible within our natural means. And so he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And this is what I saw that I had never seen. He said that when he comes, he's going to do two things. He's going to show you all things, and he's going to remind you what I said. Look at this. A significant aspect of the Holy Spirit's function, according to Jesus, is reminding us that there is a word spoken over us in the midst of adverse circumstances surrounding our lives. The Holy Spirit comes in the midst of your pain and says, even though you don't see it now, Jesus is still a healer. He comes in the midst of your sin and says, even though you don't understand it now, he's still a deliverer. He comes in the midst of your poverty and your lack and he says, you may not see it now, but he's still a provider. He comes in the midst of whatever you're facing and he reminds you that every word that God ever spoke over your life is still true, no matter what your circumstances are trying to dictate to you. He reminds us. Jesus didn't make this promise without having experienced it, its benefit for himself. Because see, Jesus went through a season of hardship as well. The Bible says after he was baptized in Luke chapter 4, verse number 1, it says, Then Jesus, significant phrase, full of the Holy Spirit. Returned from the Jordan River, he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Then he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time. And I love this phrase. It's, it's so significant. And became very hungry. He didn't eat for 40 days, and, and, and he became very hungry. I don't get it. I, it was funny. I thought it was funny. <laughs> so we're all about to go into 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I think it's, it's, it's not funny, but... A lot of us have some health problems, and I understand sugar issues and all that. So some, some people can't fast food, but some of the things that we fast, to me, it's, it's comical. Some of the things that I've, that I've even fasted and been like, oh, this is so hard. You know, like, like I'll do a social media fast, and I'll be like, oh, woe is me. Like, how am I going to not get on Instagram today? Like, oh, I've been fasting, moisturizing my elbows for the last three weeks, and oh, it's so hard. Jesus goes 40 days. Doesn't eat anything. Doesn't touch food. And the enemy comes to him in this vulnerable place. And he begins to tempt him for 40 days, the scripture says. And I want you to look at how Satan tempted the Son of God. Like he had one shot. One moment of vulnerability. One moment of weakness with the Son of God. Like this is his chance to ruin his purpose. And look at how he tempts him. Verse number 3. Then the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell not a stone... This stone, 
to become a loaf of bread. You know what that implies? That implies that he showed up and he said, hey, Jesus, why don't you tell this stone? Put it in front of his face to become a loaf of bread. Look at verse number five. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. When the enemy shows up to tempt Jesus when he's weak and to try to get him to fail and to try to distract him from his purpose, he does so by showing him things. By trying to get his eyes to to center in on something other than his purpose. And see, the enemy has used the same template. I know that he's, like, I get that he has power on this earth and all that. But let's be honest, he's not that creative. He uses the same temptation for all of us. Look back at the Old Testament. David is tempted by sex. What's one of the biggest temptations in 2018? Sex. He uses the same stuff. Over and over and over and over again. And so he shows up, tempts Jesus by showing him stuff, and he does the same thing to us. He shows up and he says, wow, look at how many times you sinned this week. You're a failure. I mean, mean, like, look at your bank account. You think God's going to do something with you? You can't even hardly pay your rent this month. You think God's got a plan for your life when you're 600 pounds overweight? Like we, I mean, the enemy just shows up and he yells at us all this, this stuff. And, and he shows us all these things. But I love this because not only are we given a template for how he attacks, but we're given a template for how to be victorious. Because when he showed Jesus the stone and he showed Jesus the kingdoms of the world, Jesus looked back at him and he said, it is written. You know what he was really saying? The word of God says. See, he said, I know you're saying that I can make this this stone bread. But what I heard was that man shall not live by bread alone. I know you're saying that I can have the kingdoms of the world. But what I heard is that you should not worship anyone else but the Lord your God. When the enemy showed up and tried to show Jesus a way that he could fail, he said, you know what? You're showing me this, but I already heard something different. And so what I heard takes precedent over what you're showing me. And can I tell you, it still works. And maybe you're here, you're like, that's, that's awesome, Pastor Tyler. Thank you so much for this wonderful message about hearing things and, and all that. But, like, I haven't heard from God in a long time. Maybe not ever. I didn't hear from God this year. I didn't hear from God last year. Haven't heard from God in two decades. And so you're talking about a word and all this stuff, and I don't have one. Well, I, I want to tell you that you actually have 66 books full of fresh words from God for your life. You've got every promise that he's ever made. See, if you're sick, you have the promise in the book of James that is any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray for them. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. If you're weary, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 applies to you that he said, come to me. All you who are weary and I'll give you rest. If you're afraid, 1 John chapter 4 applies to you because it says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 
If you feel condemned, Romans chapter 8 applies to you because there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. If you feel like you won't have enough, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 tells us that he supplies seed to the sower. And so he's going to supply your needs. If your questioning of God may have abandoned you, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says that God is faithful. That means he's never going to leave you. If you feel defeated, remember Romans chapter 8 says that in all these things we are more than conquerors. If you feel like God's given up on you, Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 says that I'm certain the God who began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. See, it doesn't matter what your circumstances look like. All of those words take precedence and authority over your circumstances. What you see doesn't have any authority over what you've heard. You want to know why that's true? Because... What God has said predates what you see. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. You know what that means? There was nothing to see. And God said. Before there was anything to see, God was speaking. And Jesus said. Heaven and earth will pass away. In other words, what you see, it won't last. But my word, what I said, it'll never pass away. I don't know what you see in your life. I don't know what your circumstances look like today. But I came to remind somebody, don't forget what God said. I don't care. What the doctor says. I don't care what your mom or your dad say. In fact, it doesn't even really matter what the judge has said. Because God's spoken a word over your life. And he sent me today with a simple message. You don't need to receive something new, a fresh word. You just need to remember what he's already said. You just need to remember the promises that he's already given. What we see is subject to change. But what's been said will stand forever. It's going to come to pass. I love what Abraham said. Paul goes back to it in Romans. He said that he didn't even consider the deadness of his own body or the barrenness of Sarah's womb because he counted the one who had promised faithful. You know what that means? He believed what he heard in spite of what he saw. That's God's message to you today.